On October 23, 1981, a 17-year-old young man goes to a party in Newburgh Heights, Ohio. After getting intoxicated, he goes missing. Five days later, they find his body in a ravine, a couple hundred yards away from the alleged party. However, the ravine was thoroughly searched, and the coroner determined that he had only been dead between 24 and 36 hours. Where did he go, and what happened? You're listening to the Mysterious Brews podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of Kurt Sova. Deep, dark, dank, moist basement. Somewhere in the bowels of Georgia. I think people are going to narrow it down eventually. It's all right. As long as I don't say it out. They know it's northwest Georgia. There's not a lot out here. Well, you don't need to help them there. We are staying steady in the great country of Slovakia. We fluctuate. Fluxure. Fluxure. We fluctuate. We fluctuate between... 54 and 49. Hey, I mean, we'll take it. I'm not going to turn it down. Anyway. Uh, before you get started. I'm getting started right now. You can't st- stop me. So every one of our worldwide listeners will be happy to know that we can get you stickers in another country. Oh, heck yeah. It took two and a half weeks to get the stickers to Australia, but she got them and she's ecstatic nice slovakia got hers nice uh the fierce wolf soul fierce who wolf can, soul that how is, do you forget that i don't know i, had, I knew i had wolf in it that's all that matters all you right. knew it <laughs> <laughs> all right well tonight we are drinking oh hoppy ale ipa from ohio brewing company we uh had some oh hoppy day it just so happened about two weeks ago i knew somebody that went up there Oh, and I happy said, day. Bring me something from Ohio and we'll get a case done. And it just so happens Ohio has a very extremely weird case featured on Unsolved Mysteries by the brilliant Robert Stack. Before you get into the details, I think you got something else you want to tell the folks in oh, the wide yeah, world yeah, of sports. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We got Dos or Duis in Portuguese. I'm trying to learn Portuguese, by the way. It is not going well. I didn't think it would. It's a, yo, yo so falo un poco portugues. That means I speak a little Portuguese. And that's all he knows. And they do. Here's the thing is I can understand, like when I'm learning, I can understand what they're saying. I can't necessarily answer back. It's kind of like a Han Solo Chewbacca thing. <laughs> you can answer in English. I can answer in English, but I can't, I can't do it in Portuguese. Anyway, we got two five-star reviews, which we love so much. T. Murano, 33, five stars, has stumbled onto this and so glad I did. My dad was a detective for almost 30 years, so true crime is hardwired in my life. I told him I wanted to be a forensic entomologist at five. That would have been cool. So it's always been a huge love for me, and I regularly follow about 25 different podcasts. These two have insane good chemistry. That's because we actually do like each other. I don't know how, but... It happens. Oh, anyway. <laughs> and great personalities. They don't claim to know it all. <laughs> Amen. 
No truer words have been spoken. <laughs> we don't know shit about shit. I saw it. it stuck with me forever. There's a Robin Williams um, special. He's pretending to be drunk. And he's like, hey, you don't know shit about fuck my man. <laughs> I'm like, amen. That is 100% descriptive of my life. Uh, anyway, where was I? Oh, okay. Uh, Adult ADD. Uh, they don't claim to know it all, but have well-informed opinions and research. They give great recommendations and are only getting better and better. Would love to send them some brews from my home state of Nebraska and maybe a case to cover or two. Keep it up, y'all. If you would love to send us some brews, please get on our social media or our Facebook group or reach out and let us know, and we'll be more than happy to provide an address. And we will be more than happy to fast track an episode. Yeah, you give us a Nebraska recommendation. We haven't covered Nebraska yet, so please do. So let us know. Thank you so much. KDOS07, five stars. Love y'all. Thanks so many. Thanks for so many laughs and great content from our shallow, well lit, humid, dry gun warehouse somewhere in the caves of Northwest Arkansas. Keep up the amazing podcast. Send us or reach out to to me on Instagram because I was n- n- very near Northwest Arkansas and have plans to go back. So, uh, and he's a gun nut. So if you want to sell, you need to contact him. He'll buy something. I will. Just I'm all for about the, it. Just for the story. Yeah. Hey, we went to this gun store and they had one of our stickers about my podcast. Yeah, he's a he's a gun collector. I I have. I don't think I'm a gun collector. I, have, I would like to be a gun collector. I have functional weapons. I have a 45 for myself, a 38 for my wife, and we got a pump shotgun for house for the house. I have multiple shotguns and a nine millimeter, and a couple of rifles that'll reach out and touch you. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, we can maybe edit this out if you want to. But I was on Instagram and I saw a thing that just said I follow some weird shit on Instagram, and it said plastic bullet versus deer head, and this. Poor baby innocent deer just chilling, nibbling on some grass. And whatever that plat quote unquote plastic bullet, it made his head disappear. And he was backstrap on the grill. <laughs> like people get pissed off about deer getting killed, and I'm like, have you ever eaten one? Because if you've ever eaten one cooked right, you don't get mad. I'm not a big fan of deer. It's because it's never been cooked right. But I'll eat it. I promise you. Uh, there's not a meat on this planet that I would not try. Human? There's not but one meat. <laughs> <laughs> now, and and I'm not trying to be morbid, but there's a lot of people that are like, I would almost try just like a little bit of it. Well, if I knew the person didn't die. Like, like they just like for example, of- I saw a, a Reddit story about a guy who had his foot amputated somehow convinced them to give him said foot and him and his friends cooked it and ate it. I'm not eating a foot. Well, it was kind of like, I'm thinking thinking shin bone calf level. Like, okay, I'll take a calf or yeah, some thigh meat. Yeah. All right, so you let me... <laughs> <laughs> Let's backtrack a little bit. But, I mean, I, I truly want to eat a bald eagle. I want to try it. What is that website where you can order different? There's exotic meats. Yeah, that's com, but you can't get no damn eagle. Well, you can, but they. Well, I don't want an eagle that was slaughtered for meat. I want like one that accidentally got hit by a car and I got it fresh or something. You know, expressed him out. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I, I literally would try any meat, and I don't. I've, there's not many meats on this planet that I've tried that I didn't like. Ham is pretty much the only one. I, I was gonna say there is one out there that you know besides raw tomatoes. <laughs> I don't like ham. I'm sorry. I just don't. I don't know why, but nope. All right. Well, let's get into it. <laughs> We've hijacked this podcast into a meat episode. Please join in next week when we have mysterious meats. <laughs> mysterious meats podcast sponsored by in the in the tr- in the near future Myth- mythical mythical meats still delicious somebody on twitter ordered it and tagged mythical meats and said hey i got this called mysterious brews like that's that that was awesome appreciate you whoever you are i can't remember sorry i'm dumb and drunk all right so <laughs> kurt sova kurt lived with his parents in newburgh heights ohio and that is a suburb of cleveland he was the youngest of four sons and was close to his parents. His parents recalled that he never got into trouble. They also said that they never knew him to drink. And here's where I'm going to go ahead and poke a big hole in that. If you would asked my mama when I was 17. If, if you'd ever drank. If I'd ever drank. She might have said no. <laughs> but she was fucking wrong. <laughs> <laughs> on Friday, October 23rd, 1981. Kurt decided that he was not going to go to school. And so about a block from his house, he met up with a friend. And the friend had a great idea that they needed to go to a Halloween party at a duplex about two miles away. But this is early afternoon, though. He's not going to go straight to that party. He's going to go to his girlfriend's house, correct? Correct. When he's going to get something that is amazing for a 17-year-old to even try Especially in 1980, because there was like, it, it was mythical, but I was only six, so <laughs> you weren't even an itch in your daddy's pants, you, were you? You was drinking when you were six? Oh, yeah. Hard life I live. <laughs> but when I got into high school, this stuff was mythical then. But anyway, so Kurt lived in a middle-class neighborhood with both parents. Their names were Dorothy and Ken, and a junior in high school, his parents would quote that he never got into serious trouble. But his friends said he liked to drink with them, and he smoked pot on the weekends. So, Kurt liked to party just about as much as any other junior in high school did. And on October 23rd, 1981, he decided that he was going to take himself to the local liquor store. And he talked a man into buying him something. And that something was a fifth of 190 proof Everclear. And for those keeping up at home, that is 95% alcohol in a bottle. That is the strongest. Everclear and Golden Grain are your two. Yeah, the strongest commercially sold liquors on the market. But if you live in Georgia, (laughs) you can get something 5% stronger if you know the right people. (laughs) It may or may not have fruit in it. So... Hold on now. I got a story about Everclear. The first time I got caught drinking on campus when I was in college, (laughs) of the many, we had bought some Golden Grain, I mean some Everclear rather, and my dumbass decided it would be a good idea on a dry campus being 19 (laughs) to stand in the middle of the quad with a lit stick, a stick lit on fire and swig that go uh everclear and blow fireballs that wasn't gonna draw attention no nah, it didn't it, it, i mean 
Except for the, you know, the RA who was the head baseball coach. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> that was my um, second, third weekend on campus. When I was on that wrestling team, we had punishment run. Every single weekend we'd go by and we'd have punishment run the whole week. 5.45 a.m. running for an hour every weekend. I don't think there was a single weekend that went by when I was on that wrestling team that I didn't have punishment run because we were out of we were control. out of control. We were out of control. <laughs> so Kurt b- began taking little swigs after he procured his fifth of Everclear, and by the late afternoon, he was nursing that bottle at his girlfriend's house. So as evening fell, he left his girlfriend to join a friend, Samuel Carroll. He yeah. The the word nursing has got to be a understatement because if you're drinking straight Everclear, Everclear you're not going anywhere. There's no way you're gonna oh I'm gonna go to my I'm gonna go to this party. I'm gonna no. Mm-mm. Most people that drink Everclear straight from the bottle, first of all, the bottle itself has a warning label on it that says if you consume this entire bottle, you will die. Yeah, doesn't the inside of the label one of them either Golden Grain or Everclear used to have the skull and crossbones like poison. Yeah. On the inside of the label. It's po- it is poison. Don't make no bones about it. No. So Samuel and Kurt decide to go to the house party, and they walk to the second floor apartment of Debbie and Clayton Sams, and those two individuals were brother and sister. And Kurt continues to drink. So it's not long before Kurt was snockered. And he started knocking things over in the house. Snockered. I say snooker. I say snockered because you got... I say snockered because you're shit-faced and you knock stuff over. And that's what Kurt did. <laughs> he got sick and was quickly shuttled down the store... Stores. <laughs> down the stairs and outside so that he would not make a mess. Yep, that's what you do. So Sam stays with Kurt for about 20 minutes and... The sun has set and the temperature is falling. Sam states that we were both in t-shirts and I headed back upstairs into the apartment to dr- retrieve our jackets. When Sam came back down less than five minutes later, Kurt was nowhere to be found. It's got to be less than, f- way less than five minutes. How long does it take to walk up a flight of stairs? I'm saying he's, a, I'm saying he's, he's gone maybe less than a minute, two minutes max if someone stops him. Well, then why don't you say that? You said five minutes. This is coming from Samuel. You said five minutes. I know. Samuel says he wasn't up there more than five minutes. Oh, all right. I'm just saying. So less than two is what we're saying. (laughs) More like less than one. So so, let's let's, let's go with two. So Sam starts searching the side streets and any building around to look for Kurt. And after 20 minutes, he gives up and goes back to the party. And the party goes on until the wee hours of October 24th. It's it's kind of strange behavior on his part. Your friend that you left outside in the cold disappeared, and you're just like, well, I'm going to go back and talk to this girl. Yeah. Like, well, Sam would say that he had two thoughts. One, either Kurt went home, or the second one was he guessed he had been picked up by someone, and they took him home. But Sam also believed that he really couldn't have walked anywhere as hammered as he was. 
and got far enough that he yeah, couldn't have seen him. Yeah, he said he le- literally left him clinging to a, a, a chain link fence because he couldn't stand up by on his own own power. I mean, that's that's very strange. You're just gonna stumble off. I mean, it's not unheard of for drunks to do extremely stupid shit. <laughs> no, I mean. So it is possible that he did walk away on his own, but I don't. I don't. I think it's unlikely. So by Saturday morning, Kurt's parents were worried to say the least, and Mama Dorothy starts calling his friends, and Daddy Ken decides that he's going to get some more friends and some relatives, and this fairly large group begins searching the area around the apartment where the party was held. So we're talking about 40 searchers are looking in back alleys, undeveloped areas, including ravines, ditches, culverts, and they can't find anything. And then the next morning comes and goes, and they have not received any communication from Kurt. So his parents decide at that time they are going to report Kurt missing with the Cleveland police. So determined to find him, Dorothy makes some flyers up and she starts taking them to local stores and posting them in the windows. Along the way, she heard that Kurt had gone to a party at a duplex hosted by Susan Sam's children, Debbie and Clayton. So Dorothy goes to the duplex and knocks on the door and a babysitter answers the door and tells her that Susan is out. So Dorothy leaves her number and asked the babysitter to tell Susan to call her immediately. So that night, Susan returned home and called Dorothy. But Susan claims that she had not seen Kurt, and she never had any any such party. Yeah, that's that's a a lie. Yes, (laughs) because Dorothy continues searching and talking with local people in the vicinity and a pizza delivery man tells her yeah here that that's one thing that confuses me though i i believe him and i'm sure it was true how did she find this guy like you know what i mean it's just weird she just i, I don't know there's there's definitely a lot of details about that part that are missing and that i don't understand the one the only thing i could think of is that she probably posted one of those flyers in the pizza shop and the as she's walking out, maybe a delivery guy yeah, walks that, in. Yeah, that makes sense. That does make sense. I think, well, now that you've said that and I didn't think about it, that's probably the most likely explanation. But anyway, the pizza delivery guy says, hey, uh, I delivered a pizza to said duplex and I saw your son there. So immediately Dorothy knows Susan's lying to her. So she calls Susan up again. And finally she gets Susan to admit that she did have a party and Well, come to think of it, young Kurt was there. So she explained that most of the people in attendance were much older than Kurt, and most of them were from the Detroit area. So Kurt probably would not have known many people. I was too lazy to look it up, but I don't know how far far apart Detroit and... I said it earlier in the intro. I can't even remember where this is at. Newburgh Heights. Newburgh Heights, yes. Well, you got your phone. Look it up. I'm playing Candy Crush, bro. Okay, sorry. (laughs) Don't need to cut into that. (laughs) So guests at the party admitted to seeing Kurt there, 
and that he was drinking Everclear. And Kurt's friend Sam comes forward and tells about how Kurt was drunk and how he took him outside to get some air, and he left Kurt hanging on to a fence to go get Kurt's jacket, but when he returned, Kurt was gone. So Dorothy would tell the media, quote, so many people had lied, then changed their stories. It started to appear that they were trying to hide something, and it seemed more sinister than giving alcohol to underage youth, end quote. I I agree with her. It does seem like people are really trying to deceive her. It's very strange behavior. Now, Kurt's family would fear that he had been the victim of foul play, especially since Susan had changed her story about the party. Now, I've read anywhere from four, depending on what article, to five days after Kurt dis- disappeared, one of his four, or fellow classmates had spotted him. No, it was uh, the party occurred on a Friday. The, the friend saw him on Monday. Okay. If you'd have watched the videos that I sent you <laughs> for your research, especially the Unsolved Mysteries episode, <laughs> you would know this. The friend states that he was driving on his way to an interview when he saw Kurt getting into a van with people he did not recognize from the area. He had heard Kurt call out, hey, Franco, before getting in the van. So the classmate assumed that Kurt knew the people. And extremely unfortunately... The friend at that time had no idea that Kurt was a missing person. Though the flyers were out, though the family was looking for him, for whatever reason, he didn't know. Yeah, and he just goes on his way. And just like Coach said, you know, he's oblivious to the fact that this young man is, yeah. there's a, you know, APB out But he's basically. 100% certain he saw his friend. And I, I, I mean, come on, small town. It's your friend. You're gonna you're gonna know it's him. You know what I'm saying? You're not gonna. It's not mistaken idea. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So there's this strange occurrence that happens, and according to the Cleveland Plain Dealer, in a 1981 article, during that time, the Slavic village and Newburgh areas, which were basically next door to each other, were relatively very small communities. Did you say Slavic? Slavic. Oh. And they together would consist of roughly a few thousand people. So on the Monday following Kurt's disappearance, an eerie incident occurred at a Slavic, Slavic village record shop. And what appeared to be a homeless man who had been hanging around the shop for a couple of weeks and was bragging about having access to bodies that were being flown into Cleveland Hopkins International Airport. That's a weird thing to brag about. He was telling people (laughs) at the record shop that he had removed the shoes from said bodies. And on this particular day, the man showed up and pointed to one of the flyers that Dorothy had handed out earlier. And he says, quote, they're going to find him. And they're going to find him in two days, and they are not going to know what happened to him. Yeah, uh, he said, you might as well take that down. Ain't no use in it. Yeah, might as well take it down. He's going to be found dead in two days, and nobody's going to know how he died. And this came from Judy Oros, who was the manager of the record store. And she stated to the Cleveland Plain Dealer that this man was right. And on the same day... Susan once again calls Dorothy 
giving her yet another story. This time she said that Kurt had been sleeping on a cot in her basement. Dorothy didn't know whether to believe Susan or not. She said that there had been, she didn't necessarily say for sure it was him. She just said, someone's been sleeping in a cot in my basement and it's possible that it's him. So Ken goes to the apartment and goes to the basement and Ken says that, you know, A, Kurt wasn't there, but there was a cot and it did look like someone had slept on it. And to clarify that your research might not have uncovered, but the first video I sent you covered it, it was not a very friendly visit. Like he forced his way in and they are going to, and I don't blame them at all. Yeah, because they want to find their son, but it's, I mean, it's going to get so bad that they're going to end up having a restraining order against the parents. Yeah. Susan takes out a restraining order yeah. with the local authorities. Oh, so you're, you're, yes. Okay. We were a little more thorough than I thought. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, right. I'm just trying to emphasize that you didn't, I, I try to provide you with help and you didn't. I didn't take it. You just, you just too good for it. I am. <laughs> so on Tuesday morning, five days after Kurt went missing, which two days, after the record shop incident, three boys were using a ravine as a shortcut. They came across a body and freaked out and ran for help and grabbed the first adult they saw, who just happened to be an employee of a local business. So he calls the cops, and when the cops show up, they find Kurt's body in what is described as cruciform, arms outstretched, head to one side, one knee slightly bent, and one foot atop the other. Yeah, basically like Jesus. Kurt was clothed, and he was barefoot. Police would discover his left shoe in a pile of rocks close by where his body lo- was located. His right shoe was never found. Strangely, Ken had searched the same ravine the day before, and this ravine was roughly 500 yards from the party. So the Sovas believe that Kurt's body was put there later that evening or on Tuesday morning. Kurt was not stabbed, shot, or hit over the head. He was not injected with anything. He had no blood on him. And aside from bruised chins and a few scratches, there were no signs of trauma. His blood alcohol was tested and found to be just over the legal limit at .11, but that was not high enough to cause his death. Oh, that's nowhere near high enough to cause your death. Like .11 is almost being able, still being able to drive. Very foolishly, you'll go to jail, but you could probably pull it off. Chief Deputy Coroner Dr. Lester Adelson could not determine the exact cause of death, stating, quote, the manner of death in this particular case was signed out as probably accidental. He hadn't been beaten in any way. He hadn't been traumatized in any way. He didn't have enough alcohol to end his life. He had no pre-existing natural disease. And as Sherlock Holmes says, you eliminate all other possibilities, and that which remains is the truth. This was a diagnosis by exclusion, end quote. He wasn't beaten. He wasn't drowned. He wasn't suffocated. He wasn't poisoned. He didn't suffer a heart attack. He just died. So the coroner ruled the death accidental, but did opine that Kurt had been dead for approximately 24 to 36 hours before his body was found. He could not have been drunkenly, he could not have drunkenly fallen into the ravine. But also remember, keep in mind, 
He had been missing for five days, so at a minimum, he had been alive for at least three days after he left the party. So the same morning that Kurt's body is found, the owner of the record store receives a bouquet of flowers with a card, and on the card was written, quote, Roses are red, the sky is blue, they found him dead, and they will find you dead too, end quote. So she's freaking out, calls the police, and reports it. You ain't kidding. Though the flower per I mean, through the flower purchase, they were able to locate said mystery man, but the police claimed he was just mentally ill and disturbed and that he had nothing to do with Kurt's death. And he was, quote, unquote, a wacko from Detroit. He was released from police custody and left Newburgh Heights a short time later. Yep, and he's never seen again. But where were those people from the party? Where were they from? I think they were from the Detroit area. Oh, yeah. Well, that's strange. Is that a coincidence? Could be. The only lead the authorities seemed to have was a man named Franco. They believed that Kurt had been hanging out with him in the days before his disappearance, and some say murder. It was also the name Kurt called out before getting into the van, according to his classmate. This Franco might also be the man who was in the record store and gave the creepy warning, according to some people. Well, surely the police took his name. I mean, come on. We, I think we'd know that information by now. So now we get into the investigation, and tragically for the Sova family, the Newberg Heights Police Department did little more than collect Kurt's body. Their file on the murder victim had no photos of the crime scene, while key witnesses like a woman who reported seeing two men dragging a body down an alley in the direction of the ravine were never interviewed. <laughs> Robert... Karras. Yeah, this is some of the most piss-poor police work you've ever, you're, you will ever uncover. Mr. Karras is Newburgh Heights' one and only detective, and he headed the Sova investigation. Detective Karras was later exposed as a drug addict with a record of beating and stomping handcuffed prisoners. Karras's investigation of the Sova case was a joke, according to those who later waded through its wreckage, including Cleveland police, the county sheriff and prosecutor's office, and even the FBI. There were no photos of Kurt's body as it was found, no search of the house where Kurt was last seen alive, and no written statements from those who were with Kurt the night he disappeared. In the preceding year, or proceeding years, Dorothy got Cleveland police to look back into the case. The Cleveland Prosecutor's Office reopened the case in 1990. Lead Prosecutor Gutierrez called the Newburgh Heights investigation, quote, a joke, saying it, if he had known about it earlier, he would have, quote, probably would have indicted some people on dereliction of duty. There was no police investigation whatsoever. It was unbelievable, end quote. No forensic evidence was collected at the crime scene. Certainly no one from the police department felt a second opinion by another coroner might be prudent. But police chief Lucas disagreed, saying, quote, I felt it was a pretty good investigation. Based on the fact that we really didn't have a lot to go on, nobody would even talk, Lucas said. Quote, we didn't have a cause of death, and that was the biggest problem. If they would have at least given us a cause of death, we could have had something to go on, end quote. 
great police work there, Chief. Well, he does make a, a fairly solid point. There was no cause of death. If you don't have a cause of death, how can you say it was a murder? How can you say it was this? How can you say it was that? doesn't excuse the piss poorness of their police work, but I'm just saying that he's got a point. The Newburgh Heights police file on Kurt's case contains four Polaroid photos of Kurt's body after it had been loaded on a stretcher and was about to be placed in an ambulance. Asked why the file holds no photos of Kurt's body as it was found, a routine police practice, Chief Lucas says, quote, I know there were photos taken. I'm almost positive there were photos taken. <laughs> Asked why no forensic specialists were called to the crime scene, and he stated, You've got to remember one thing. We're a small police department. We didn't have no forensic specialist. Other law enforcement agencies say the tiny force should have called Cleveland to send a specialist to the scene. Dorothy said Newburgh Heights rejected an offer of help from Cleveland police immediately after the body was found. When asked why his officers did not obtain a search warrant for Sam's house where Kurt was last seen alive, Chief Lucas says, we had no reason to search it. Eighteen months after the death, Dorothy persuaded Cleveland Police Detective Al Figler to investigate the case. The first thing Figler wanted was the case file. And he's on record stating, when I went to talk to Karras, there must have been three or four pieces of paper thrown in a manila folder with four Polaroids, said Figler, who spent eight years working on the case. It was a joke. Basic detective work would demand more documents than that. The FBI also opened an investigation of the Suba case when the agency charged Karras with brutally beating five crime suspects. <laughs> One of those suspects was a man named Eric Katonsky, whom Karras arrested on suspicion of dr driving. Katonsky said that when he refused to surrender his car keys, Karras bashed him in the head with a flashlight. Karras later picked up Katonsky at the hospital to drive him back to the Newburgh Heights police station. But he made an unexpected stop and tried to taunt him into another fight while handcuffed. And Katonsky says, quote, He took me behind J.L. Goodman Furniture, a warehouse near Kurt's, where Kurt's body was found. But I wouldn't get out of the car. I had already been beaten up once, and I wasn't about to go through it again. The five beatings for which Karras was convicted all occurred between 1988 and 1989. But prisoners were not all he abused. He was also a fan of the Percocet. Yeah, I mean, it, the going back just a little bit, yeah, he had a very, very... Um, bad habit of only attacking handcuffed men i would like to cons i'm probably not but i'd like to consider myself a pretty bad dude and in, in when it comes to fighting but if i'm handcuffed you're gonna win <laughs> like, especially if they handcuffed behind my back yeah like you you'll win <laughs> yeah so karis was convicted on 76 counts of aggravated drug trafficking and illegal processing of drug documents Karras was fired from the Newburgh Heights Police Department in January of 1991. Five months before that, Chief Lucas was permanently banned from law enforcement for helping to arrange phony police credentials for Newburgh Heights dispatcher. 
That was not his first crime conviction. In 1984, he had pled guilty to dereliction of duty for allowing gambling at a party where he was working while off-duty. But Chief Lucas said his run-ins with the law should not reflect on his handling of the Sova case. Quote, that's not even fair. <laughs> what happened was completely unrelated. That's the only part I take offense to. That Sova case was handled on the up and up. Well, not according to the Sheriff's Department. It doesn't seem that way. I mean, you know, I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. But... According to the local sheriff's department and the only agency still actively investigating the Sova case, it's kind of been botched since the beginning, said Detective Sergeant Don Mester. We had a very difficult time getting records from Karras and the Newburgh Heights Police Department, but as long as I'm here, we'll consider this case open. And that's not the end of the high strangeness that has plagued this case. In January of 1982... After Kurt's body was found, 13-year-old Eugene C. Covet, who lived just a block from the Sovas in Newburgh Heights. And he also knew Kurt. Yeah, would go missing for days. He would be found in another Cleveland ravine on Harvard Street, dead. He was also barefoot. His left shoe found nearby. His right shoe never found, just like Kurt's. And the major twist, like Coach said... He had a connection to Kurt because they were friends. And the same Newburgh coroner produced a report about Eugene's death. This time, he found that the 13-year-old had died from falling into the ravine. But just like Kurt's death, the Covet case was swept under the rug by the police department that either did not care or maybe they were covering something up. It certainly sounds that way if you're not, if you're just going to, if you say to yourself, self, they can't be that stupid, well, then you're looking at a cover. Yeah. So there are a couple of theories before we get to our theories that I wanted to discuss. And this is from the Unsolved Message Board. And this is username Kat, K-A-T. And this was on June 28th, 2020. He says that it sounds like the party goers thought Kurt could sleep off whatever it was, drugs or alcohol, and they were all doing the same. They may not have even known he was down there the first day or two if they were all recovering, groggy, or still high. By the time they realized he was dead, they disposed of his body and coordinated stories to direct attention away from the house and the party. He goes on to state, Susan later called the parents because she knew too many people knew Kurt had been, quote, asleep in the basement by then and someone would eventually talk. She distanced herself by saying... She was barely aware of it, so if the truth came out, she could pretend to be shocked and insist it made no sense that she would have told the parents if she was involved. Another point he makes was, whatever Kurt drank or took would have left, would have been left in his system after a couple of days, or at least to the point that standard tests couldn't have detected it back in the 80s. Coupled with a corrupt police department at the time, and an ineffective coroner, and it isn't difficult to see why this wasn't resolved at the time of the case. Susan and company likely feel blameless because they didn't actually kill him since, in their minds, he did it to himself. David, the 17-year-old witness, 
couldn't have seen Kurt get into Craig Franco's van on Monday because that would mean that for three days Kurt was capable but chose not to go home or contact his parents even once, which by all accounts wasn't Kurt's style. Did that just say a first name for Franco? Did I hear you say that? That's what it said. Did you hear you say Craig Franco? Mm-hmm. Huh. Says Kurt and, quote, Craig would also have been aware Kurt's parents were looking for him. 17-year-old for gosh sakes, and this was during the school year. They had been calling all his friends over and over and had already filed a missing persons report. Adding to the unlikeliness of David's story is that not one other person in this small town of less than 2,000 reported seeing Kurt anywhere during this time, yet he was openly walking down the street in broad daylight when only David supposedly saw him. Because Susan admitted Kurt was sleeping in her basement at some point, it's not feasible he left her house on Friday, walked around aimlessly for three days undetected, wide awake and alert, and then returned to sleep in the basement of someone's house he'd just met when he could have just gone home. It makes more sense that he never left the party house, and David, who came forward only after Kurt was found, was either A, mistaken, or he was also at the party, and A, knew about it, B, was involved in taking Kurt's body to the ravine, or C, was covering for his buddies by claiming Kurt was alive and walking around with a mysterious stranger. How convenient. That makes sense right there. I mean, that that does make sense. He goes on to state, between David's story and the obviously made-up one about Kurt's disappearance while a friend retrieved his coat, it just smacks of a group of underage kids covering for each other to avoid being busted for drugs and alcohol. The young record store girl was likely part of the group, too, her claim that a wise, mystical bum star- stared at Kurt's photo and could see into the future and randomly stated he will, quote, will be found dead in two days or knew something top secret and just wanted to share randomly is pure theatrics. Yeah, whoa, 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 I got to stop you there. They found this guy. They interviewed this guy. Piss poor police work or not, they talked to this person. This person existed. They can't just, you can't just dismiss that as fantastical or whatever they said this happened oh i agree this is just his opinion well he's wrong (laughs) (laughs) he goes on and says and she said he then dramatically put flowers in the cart at the store with an irrational threat kind of like the boogeyman would it all sounds made up by a teenager coincidentally she reported this around the same time that kurt would have been discovered dying or dead at the party house based on the coroner's timeline estimate lastly Probably not a coincidence that Craig Franco was shot to death while working at a gas station just over a month after David pointed a finger at him. $10,000 award was offered by Craig's employer to find the assailant, but no such people have come forward. Okay, who is this guy? Because in all my research... I couldn't find any of this. I couldn't find anything that said Craig Franco. I mean, did you look up to see if Craig Franco was actually murdered? How does he know this? How does he know the guy was murdered? I searched for Craig Franco shooting death around the time. I couldn't find anything. He goes on and says, I'm glad to see a cold case team has taken this on as of January 2020. And I sincerely hope the police cooperate fully so they can get to the bottom of it. To me, this looks like a sadly simple drug death cover up in a small corrupt town. Kurt was young and sounds a bit naive. He may have experimented with something to his detriment or drank something spiked or took a cigarette laced with something. What? Yeah, there is, like, where did you even find that? That On on, Reddit? No, that was on the Unsolved Message Board. Oh, the TV thing? Mm -hmm. 
that makes no sense to me because either this guy is in the end has yeah he is inside this case in and out he did it or he's just talking out his ass i'm going with the latter why where are you climbing to out of this deep dark dank moist basement <laughs> i mean that is that's that's wild the last opinion that I found, and this came from username Jeff on September 26th. My name Jeff. 2018. <laughs> <laughs> this is such a fascinating case. I lived, I live in Cleveland and I'm very close to Newburgh Heights. I drove by there every day on my way to work. I'm so tempted to go down there and raid the police station. Ha. My opinion about what happened is simple. Kurt was drinking all day. Not only that, but he was drinking Everclear. He stepped up his level of drinking when he went to the house party. He got reeling drunk. The residents at the house, Debbie Sams and Clayton Sams, dealt with the situation of Kurt being sick by having him sleep it off in the basement. Kurt wasn't getting better after a few days of covering for Kurt in the hope he would rebound and then head back home. He perished. I am thinking he lasted about three days. The residents freaked. They came up with a plan to ditch the body. They didn't want to get in trouble. Done. So damn sad. I have researched this case and located Debbie Sams and her brother Clayton on Facebook. That's right, both of them are on Facebook. It's incredible. Debbie's last name is now Seymour. There are even a few photos posted by Clayton on one of his pages that are from the early 80s. You see a young Debbie and Clayton in one of the photos standing in the house where this happened. Then in the comment section on the Facebook photo, you have Debbie saying this. That was a long time ago. Man, I'm glad we're out of there, lol. Then Clayton responds, me too. That's creepy as hell. Does anyone have the guts to reach out to one of them? I thought about it, but didn't have the courage. Chances are that even if you did reach out to them, there is no way they would respond. That's just my opinion. And that is user Jeff. So now we get to our opinions, because they matter so much more. <laughs> Shit, man, I'm I'm losing, like, I can't, I can't do it anymore. I can't come up with theories that don't make no damn sense. <laughs> None of this makes sense. We got to point out the fact that this was this was a featured case in uh, at CrimeCon, and their little thing called CrowdSolved, where they took a couple hundred people and gave them way more detail. They actually gave like let them look at the case file, uh, way more information than we are able to get. And they tried to solve it, and they did. They got nowhere. Nowhere. Nada. Yeah. This is one of those extremely odd cases. And I'm like you, I don't really have a solid opinion. I, I, you know, I, I wonder in the 80s what they would have searched for toxicology report-wise. Could it have been something that maybe a toxicology report now would have found? But, I mean, you could still, I mean, you could try to uh, exhume the body and, search, and do that, but I don't know how, how far you're going to get. I mean, I think, see, I could, I, I, what I'm thinking is kind of similar to, he died, the friends didn't know what to do, but that means that definitely David had misidentified him, but, and then the coroner somehow got the time of death wrong. Yeah, and from what I could gather in my research, I didn't find where the, the coroner was shady in any you know, like he had misdiagnosed anything or anything like that. They just said that he was just kind well, of maybe, a, well, well, what about this? Maybe he did lay in the cot for a little while 
He was suffering. He got sick. He couldn't get out of bed. They left him there. A couple days later, he dies, and then they put him in the ravine. But there's no explanation of how he died. But if they, if that's the case and they transport the body from the cot to the ravine, how do you explain Ken going and busting in and looking at the cot? Did they hide him somewhere? And then after Ken left, dispose of him, knowing Ken had just searched the ravine? That's true. It's a good point. That's a really good point. It... You try to answer one question, you come up with ten other ones. Yeah, and though this is an obsessive thing for us, we get just as frustrated as our listeners because the one thing we want is answers and you just can't. You can't answer this. How do you just die? And a trained pathologist can't discover the reason. I mean... Yeah, like the the pathologist said that he didn't have any, say, pre-existing conditions that would have led to his death by smoking or drinking or something like that. You can't die from smoking at 17. Jesus. I know. I'm just saying. I mean, (laughs) and if it was laced with something, that would have shown up in the toxicology report, you would assume. Exactly. The only thing that came up was alcohol. And point, I promise you, point one one is not enough to kill you. If that was true, you and I would have died of glitter. <laughs> exactly. Because I promise you. We were way above point one one. We were way above point one one that night. I know for a fact I was. Another thing that's odd in this case, for it to be point one one at the time of the autopsy, doesn't coincide with how hammered he supposedly was leaning up against the fence well that's true but um, what we're what i'm saying is maybe okay how whatever he was at that night how long is it going to take him to get back down you know it's going to take a while and may, or maybe he just maybe he kept partying maybe he partied a couple a couple days later you know it i mean not this it doesn't make sense because of uh, everyone that they talked to, that wasn't out of his character. You know, he eventually, you would assume, if he didn't get shit-faced, drunk, sick-wise, semi-conscious, he would have tried to have at least gone home or made a phone call. So, yeah, I don't know. I can't even say with high probability that it was a murder. Because you don't know. I mean, there's not, the body tells you nothing. Nothing. Do I find the circumstances, how they found his body, odd? Yes. Do I find that creepy fucker at the record shop odd? Yes. You know, I would like to know, did anybody research where their bodies coming into the Cleveland International Airport? I mean, is this guy, you know, it, was he truly off his meds and like won the lottery by guessing they're going to find him in two days? Or did he have inside knowledge? I don't know. I mean, this is... I think that guy's full of shit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. But (laughs) I don't know, man. I'm just. I want so badly to know these things, but we'll never know. And hopefully, when I die and I go to heaven, hopefully. That will be basically the first couple of years of my experience there is just getting detailed explanations to all these mysteries. But I, I just, I got nothing, man. Nothing. 
What do you, I mean, I don't have anything, man. I just, I, I mean, I'm over here throwing out more questions than I am theories. So, mm-hmm. you know, we may put up a poll. We say that all the time and then we don't listen to it. I don't really pay attention when I edit it. I just take out our heavy breathing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a full-time job. Folks. Yeah, it is. <laughs> For every hour that you listen to, there's probably an extra hour of me editing. But with that, said if i remember maybe we'll do a poll about you know do you think what do you think happened a b c d i think we're gonna have to on this one i think we really need to put a poll up for real because it's wild all right recommendations i will go first and i will recommend the new hulu documentary special sasquatch really I've I've watched two episodes and I've seen a whole lot of people commenting on it. I've not watched any. Com- I mean, I've not watched or watched shit. I'm gonna watch the last episode tonight. I'm gonna watch the. I'm like you. I'm an episode and a half in. I think it's a cool ass story. Is the only reason I keep watching. It is, but it's. I I don't want to spoil anything for you, but from what I've seen online, it's total the, bullshit. No, the the title of the documentary is extremely misleading. I figured it was about to turn that way so with what I've seen. Go into it with the true crime ideas. Like, if you're going to watch it, sit down and watch it knowing that it's a true crime story. Kind of like Murder Mountain? Yeah. Because it's real if close. You, if you enjoyed Murder Mountain, you'll enjoy that if you go into the right mindset. If you go into it thinking, they don't prove Bigfoot's alive. Nope. No. No, I saw that after the first episode. I was like, this it, is about to take a left turn. It ain't going to happen. It's not a way. I mean, it's it's a good thing to pass a couple of hours. There's only three episodes. I mean, it's yeah. it's, it's well no, done. No, no, I'm not. No, it's definitely well done. The it's guy that does definitely it definitely worth watching. The guy that does it is cool as shit. Yeah, it's definitely worth watching. You just have to know going in what it is. Yeah, the title is is misleading. Yeah, it's true crime. It's not Sasquatch. It's not uh, cryptozoology. It, All right. I think going into it knowing that helps helps a whole lot. Yeah. Um, I can see that. Yeah, I'm going to recommend uh, that chapter. I believe he was the first person we ever recommended to be on episode one. But two days ago, today is I don't what is today? Twenty second. So on Thursday, four twenty. He posted a video on the Uber killer. I saw that. So watch, I'm going to get in the comments and and link our. Yeah, definitely do that. He does a wonderful job, and he probably did a ton. Ten time better job than we did, so check it out. He's really cool. I like that guy. So sidebar, my wife has been researching the um, it's some kind of app that puts little emoji heads on your body if you videotape yourself, but mm-hmm. it only does it for thirty seconds. And she was like so ecstatic. She was like, "Oh, y'all got to set up a camera and put the little emoji heads, and then y'all can be on YouTube and they can actually see what y'all do." And well, you know, we may have to pull the veil back. You know, I if you get on the group, you'll know who we are. I don't think they know who you are yet, but they definitely know who I am. So if you want to know who I am, get on the group, click groups on Facebook, Mysterious Brews, join the group, and and we're semi kind of like uh, the captain on True Crime Garage. My feeling is. I do not need this coming up in a job interview or my new contract. No, <laughs> no. I, I'm I'm currently looking for a new job because we're moving, and uh, 
I'm trying to get closer to the jiu-jitsu gym because it's an hour and something drive every day. But, um, yeah, I don't need that. Be like, okay, Mr. Coach, uh, tell us about uh, this podcast. Tell us about this podcast you do. Like, oh. Yeah. No, sir. I would rather not answer those. I will plead the fourth, fifth, sixth minute. Yeah, I mean, we'd cuss a little, so it doesn't look good on a professional interview. But we do have the explicit decal there, so we're covering our ass on that. That's true. Well? Yeah, before too long, the veil has to be lifted. Because we're going to go to CrimeCon and then photos abound. Oh, yeah, definitely going to go to CrimeCon. Even if, even if we have to buy tickets and just print Walk it. around and hand out stickers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that I'm fine with that. Yeah, me too. I mean, I would prefer to be. Still ain't heard back from them. I know. It's <laughs> funny. Our plan is to be at CrimeCon 2022. That's our plan. Shit, I'd like to be the one in London. Well, yeah, but I'm not getting a shot, so I can get on a plane, so piss on that. Good Lord, I got the shot. It's fine. Yeah, you only drag that left foot every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, that's all for the Kurt Sova case. Deuces. <laughs>